0: United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic have warmed about two degrees. It will be very difficult, not impossible, for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you with us today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. We have a great show for you today, so my friends, once more, into the fray. Welcome back once again, and I want to start off this week by very quickly addressing this show. As we have gained a fair amount of listeners over the past three months, I want to remind folks what this show is and what it isn't. On this show each week, I'll bring you the latest scientific research with regards to anthropogenic climate change. This does not come from your preferred news agency nor their usually cited sources. As we learned last week in our discussion on climate versus weather, a person's media choice significantly impacts their acceptance or denial thereof. While climate change is not something up for debate, this show will remain unbiased in its sourcing of information as it comes from Only scientific reports published in reputable scientific journals and are almost always peer reviewed. If they aren't, I'll make special note on the show to make sure you know. Additionally, these papers do not come from a single group of scientists. While some of you out there may want an opposing or counter viewpoint to this show, I would say this. I encourage Everyone to do their own research. However, in doing so, do not use news agencies or opinion pieces as your source. Do not get your information from any single individual. Sure, you may interpret that as going counter to what I do on this show. However, what I present is not my opinion, interpretation, or even my own work. I am merely keeping you up to date on the wonderful body of work done by the scientific community. Oh, and for the love of all things holy and precious in this world, do not ever source your information from a Facebook post. Just please don't do it. Now, do look for peer-reviewed scientific studies and better yet, look for multiple properly sourced studies that back each other up as we do on this show. And that'll hopefully assist you in forming your own opinion and your own personal decision on how you can best address anthropogenic climate change. All of that said, If you don't want to wade through the body of work out there or you don't have the time, even if you'd like to, know that is the purpose of this show and what I mention in the opening every week. This podcast will always bring you unfiltered scientific research and how it relates to anthropogenic climate change. Okay, now that that's out of the way, today we're going to start a mini-series, if you will, that we are developing for the next several shows. We've gotten several requests to look at anthropogenic climate mitigation systems after we aired episode 8 when I discussed research on enhanced rock weathering, or ERW, as a way to increase carbon sequestration. As such, over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at scientific papers on carbon dioxide removal, or CDR, technology, specifically afforestation, regeneration agriculture, DAX or direct air capture, and BECs, or bioenergy with carbon capture systems, to better understand them. Before we do, though, it's important to address our mental interpretation of such systems, so today's research paper does just that. It's called Public Perceptions of Carbon Dioxide Removal in the United States and the United Kingdom and was published just a week and a half ago on 6 July 2020. Now, this study was done with statistically significant populations in both countries and conducted through surveys, in-person interviews, and multi-day research clinics. The latter was conducted separately in large cities, medium-sized university towns, and small agricultural communities in both countries, allowing for a very diverse picture both from a cultural standpoint as well as from a personal environment standpoint. To start with, the question some of you may be asking is, okay, Brian, I hear you, but why would we as a society not look at carbon reduction before we ever look at carbon dioxide removal? I'd say, great question. So let's look at a few things. First of all, for anyone who listened to our two-part series on Climate Change 101, you'll remember that carbon dioxide stays in the atmosphere for roughly 95 years. So all the carbon dioxide our relatives put into the atmosphere in 1925 is just now dissipating. And we have been dumping CO2 into our atmosphere at an exponentially higher rate every decade since. Secondly, there are sectors which will be extremely difficult to decarbonize, such as aviation. And while regenerative agriculture holds promise, which we'll cover in the next several weeks, agriculture as a whole will be difficult to decarbonize as well. So we need to look at a combined approach and implement both CDR technologies as well as minimize our emissions. Now, as we progress through the findings in this paper, I want you to think about your own perceptions and remember not knowing is perfectly fine as it gives you room to grow and learn. So let's start with the fact that very few individuals, 5.7% in the UK and 9.6% in the US, had more than a basic understanding of CDR technologies. These technologies are often referred to as geoengineering. And as soon as I said geoengineering, did you suddenly get defensive or a little hesitant, even if you are an ardent acceptor of anthropogenic climate change? If you did, you're not alone in your response. The paper further noted, quote, research on public attitudes to geoengineering suggests that it tends to be viewed less favorably than emissions reductions, that ethical and justice considerations are important and often overlooked, and that framing geoengineering as a response to a climate emergency slightly improves perceptions, shifting them from opposition to conditional acceptance, end quote. In the last part of that quote, you may have caught something. Namely, that if geoengineering is framed as a response to a climate emergency, it tends to shift perceptions from opposition to conditional acceptance. Now, I know some of you might be throwing up your hands and hollering, there it is! They are framing anthropogenic climate change to make me afraid, and I know this because they keep changing what they call it. First, it was global warming, then it was climate change, now it's a climate emergency. So, let's diverge for a brief moment to address that. first. I'm not sure who the nefarious they are in this conversation, but I'll roll with it as I've heard it often enough. Secondly, all three are actually correct. The world has increased in annual average temperature of 1.1 degrees C since the Industrial Revolution. That is an undeniable fact, and it continues to increase. The major cause of this warming is, in fact, carbon dioxide release into the atmosphere, which in turn has mainly been as a result of burning fossil fuels. That also is an undeniable fact. As for the name change from global warming to climate change... Well, that actually came from a 2005 pamphlet published by the National Academy of Sciences stating that climate change was a more scientifically appropriate term for what was happening to the Earth. DNAS the argued this not because temperatures had stopped rising, but rather because changes were occurring in addition to the overall planet warming. To be fair, there were also political motivations in the US, which I won't dive into on this show, except to say there was a preference amongst the administration at the time, for climate change, as it didn't sound as scary as global warming. Finally, climate emergency emerged as a term as the governments of the world worked to address anthropogenic climate change. Governments often declare a state of emergency for different types of time-sensitive issues in order to divert funding and or focus political will. As such, many nations have declared anthropogenic climate change as a climate emergency, and hence the term has gained momentum. Okay, so now that we have the boogeyman shadow government piece out of the way, let's continue with the hard science. So back to the issue at hand. Why do we have a negative perception of geoengineering? Think about that for a second. If you're in the 5.7% of the folks in the UK who have more than a base level understanding of it, does the idea bother you? If so, why? Likely, it's because we are talking about altering Earth's systems themselves, not human ones, and that idea leaves people trepidatious. The interesting bit, though, is we didn't seem to have such an issue with geoengineering done to create the problem in the first place. So why does using a similar approach to decarbonize it leave you uneasy? Well, I'll let you ponder that one. However, the paper also noted, quote, the greatest perceived risks were potential negative impacts of CDR on the environment and that pursuing CDR might lower the drive to cut carbon emissions, otherwise known as mitigation deterrence, end quote. The first part of that likely hits on your hesitancy to adopt techno science. Sounds like a genre of music, I know. However, it's the latter part that many will cite in conversation. That said, if you read the IPCC AR5 Chapter 2, it discusses just this, namely mitigation pathways to avoid crossing the threshold of 1.5 degrees C of warming before 2050 needs a combined approach. Now, in the United States, the main analogies given by participants in this study for why they're concerned with CDR were analogies of land contamination, others of cigarettes and asbestos. However, in the United Kingdom, those analogies were fracking, plastic waste in the ocean, and landfills. Not surprisingly, nuclear waste was an analogy used in both countries. One of the interesting differences in the US was a focus on human health, whereas in the UK, conversations on concerns on CDR centered around environmental health. The study found that this is likely due to, quote, a history of poorly regulated industrial activity and high profile examples of health problems arising from land contamination in parts of the United States, end quote. Additionally, there was a more positive reception to CDR in the UK than in the US, in part because there is a greater concern for and broader acceptance of anthropogenic climate change. The biggest theme across this body of research, though, was that CDR was broadly expressed to not be part of a sustainable future vision, rather reactionary, potentially creating multiple future problems to solve one today and not treating the root cause of anthropogenic climate change. With that in mind, the paper found that many participants see CDR as a non-starter unless part of a package deal that includes emission reduction. Additionally, CDR faces framing and public perception issues The study found that when asked if CDR technologies are being driven more by profit than by public interest, it had the highest proportion of participants saying they strongly agree in both countries. This divergence between expert understanding and public opinion is something that will definitely need to be addressed in proper communication of CDR technologies. As a result, CDR faces both significant political and social hurdles. The paper noted, quote, low prior awareness coupled with multiple points of ambivalence that emerge as people receive further information mean that such attitudes are likely to remain, at best, conditional and fragile, end quote. This could cause both framing and governance problems as CDR is rolled out by countries looking to hit their net carbon neutrality by 2050. CDR is viewed, according to the study, as a way to potentially buy more time. However, this doesn't sit comfortably with the urgency many see in addressing anthropogenic climate change in the here and now. As we learned last week, while climate change used to be viewed as both spatially and chronologically distant, it is now connected to direct experiences with extreme weather events and the urgency has, and might I add thankfully so, increased dramatically. Now we are going to revisit this paper during our mini series on CDR technologies in the coming weeks, as it produced a wealth of information on the public perception of DAC specs and enhanced rock weathering that fit better into each individual conversation than on a whole in this week's episode. However, the takeaway, or shall we say, the summary for a six-year-old, is this: the world's climate is changing due to man-made causes and needs to be addressed very quickly. In order to do so, we need to look at all options available, but to keep people from being afraid or not trusting some of those ideas, we're going to have to be careful on how those ideas are talked about. Now, in the coming weeks, I hope I'm able to assist you in gaining a better understanding of these technologies and how they fit into how we as a global society can rapidly address anthropogenic climate change. No, I won't be presenting my opinion, only the science, and I hope a broader knowledge leaves you with less hesitancy on some truly fascinating ways we can work to keep the global temperature south of two degrees. And that once again wraps up our show. I hope you enjoyed it and are looking forward to the next few weeks as much as I am. Until then, stay safe. And aside from checking out all the latest information on the website, blog, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show in the next week. Have at least one conversation about climate change with someone else. And above all, keep it South of Two Degrees.